previously on Flying the Line. The founder of ALPA, Dave Banky, was not a household name. However, within the air transportation industry and labor circles, he was very highly regarded. As an obscure United Airlines pilot who came out of nowhere to organize a labor union that rivaled in power and influence with large corporations, the success that ALPA achieved made Banky a legend. From humble beginnings as a child of poor German immigrant farmers, his dream of becoming an aviator was realized in spite of the numerous hurdles along the way. While his dream of flying combat missions in the Army Air Force during World War I would not come to pass, Banky would continue to pursue his dream of flying and eventually make a career out of it. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. Abridged from the book Flying the Line by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 10, Dave Banky, An American Success Story, Part Two. After the conclusion of World War I, Banky, like thousands of other young men, began embracing their passion for flight. He bought a surplus Jenny and flew the country fair circuit for a while. He temporarily joined a company of daredevils in a flying circus that wowed the locals with wing-walking, parachute-jumping, and other aeronautical stunts. His goal was to earn a decent living while continuing his career in aviation. After the number of people willing to pay $5 for a ride dwindled, he tried to make it as a freight operator. When that didn't work, he tried teaching, aerial mapping, and aerial advertising, which meant painting the sides of his aircraft with the names of various Chicago businesses. The only kind of aviation activity he avoided was the one that paid best, rum running. Banky wanted nothing to do with bootlegging. In the unanimous opinion of the surviving old-timers who knew him, Banky was a moral man, particularly when it came to booze and women. By 1921, Banky had fared better than most. He owned a couple of nickel-plated jennies and had a reputation as one of Chicago's best airmen. In September 1921, he won the Chicago Air Derby, covering a 55-mile course in just 49 minutes. The recognition earned from this feat allowed him to run Checkerboard Field, which was a small airfield located at what is today Miller Meadow Park in Chicago. By this time, Banky's parents had joined him in Chicago, working in a boarding house where Banky also lived. For Dave Banky, being an independent businessman wasn't all it was cracked up to be. He longed to return to the military and participate in the great things that Billy Mitchell, the founder of the Air Force, had begun. In any case, the Cook County Forest Preservation Society, which owned the land Checkerboard Field was on, was threatening to cancel Banky's lease. So Banky was eager to rid himself of his stake in Checkerboard Field. Around the same time, Banky met and married Gladys May Henson. Soon after, the Army accepted his application to return to active duty. Banky set off for Langley Field in Virginia with his new bride for what he hoped to be a lifetime career in uniform. However, after only six short months, 
Benke returned back to civilian life and was on the hunt for any job that would support him and his young wife, provided it was in flying. Benke wanted desperately to stay in the flying game, primarily because it would enhance his chances of returning to military duty. Upon his release from active duty in early 1926, Benke got a job with Charles Dickinson, a Minneapolis-based entrepreneur who held the first private contract for airmail service in Chicago. Benke was first on the pilot list of what would eventually become Northwest Airlines. Throughout the remainder of 1926, Benke flew a single-engine Stinson Detroiter, an enclosed cabin monoplane, back and forth between Chicago and the Twin Cities. Benke led a formation flight to Chicago, where they picked up a full load of passengers and proceeded on to St. Paul. He worked with two other pilots, Eddie Stinson himself, and Raymond Collins, an executive who specialized in aviation finances. Among the passengers was Charles Holman, a newly hired pilot with whom Banky's path would cross again, with unfortunate results. At that time, Northwest had a round-trip route between Chicago and Minneapolis-St. Paul, with stops in La Crosse and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. In the beginning, it was strictly a mail service, but on February 1, 1927, Northwest carried its first paying passengers, piloted by Dave Banky. Banky got along exceedingly well with Colonel L. H. Britton, the developer of the St. Paul Airport, who subsequently became Northwest's operation manager. It was a tough life, though, one that required pilots to fly two days out of three. But Banky loved flying as well as the technical aspects of the airline's operations. In May 1927, he wrote an article titled The Cabin Monoplane that was published in Aviation Magazine, the predecessor of today's Aviation Week. The gist of this piece was that pilots need not fear flying out of the slipstream. Many early pilots insisted that a pilot must always be in an open cockpit, even if the passengers had to be out of the weather. Banky dismissed this kind of thinking, pointing out that comfort and convenience to the pilot was a safety factor. In stressing safety, Banky was ahead of his time and in direct conflict with pilots like Charles Holman, a daredevil who insisted that the natural employment for an aircraft was aerobatics, that all pilots should prefer to fly inverted, and that every plane should be periodically tested with a few loops just to warm it up for a passenger flight later in the day. Holman, on one occasion, took a Stenson Detroiter up just before Banky was scheduled to take it out on a regular run. A confrontation followed, with Banky arguably getting the worst of it. He was fired. The termination was a shattering blow to Banky, who expected operations manager Britton to back him up on what was obviously a safety violation. Banky pleaded his case, but to no avail. Banky was once again unemployed, but would get one more crack at a military career. The Army accepted him for a full year of active duty. He was off to Langley Field again, this time posted as an executive officer of the newly formed 2nd Bombardment Group. Gladys was pregnant with their first child, and Dave Banky was determined to succeed this time, his third chance in the Army. There, he learned to fly Martin bombers as a reserve officer. 
but when the Army ran out of money for active duty, Banky headed back to Chicago. This final stumble ended Banky's last chance at a regular commission and the military career he coveted. He was rather successful in his career. He won a promotion to first lieutenant, functioned exceptionally well as an administrator of the group's affairs, and was officially credited with taking out the Petey River Concrete Bridge after MacArthur's artillery failed to do it during war games in late 1927. The problem for an aspiring career officer like Banky was twofold. First, the military was short of money. Second, he lacked the requisite educational background for a regular commission. It was common knowledge that older anti-aviation careerists were trying to keep the Army's aviation branch small, and they frowned on commissioning simple pilots in the first place. One key to understanding Dave Banky is his Army experience. He had worked hard, had overcome severe educational handicaps, and had painfully clawed his way up from being a nobody to rather substantial achievements, both in civil and military aviation. Yet he was getting nowhere. At Northwest Airlines, he had been fired unjustly, and his best efforts and excellent performance in the Army were to no avail. It was clear that Banky was disillusioned. These painful experiences caused him to reject the stereotypical notion that success comes in due course if you work hard enough. Banky was fed up with the Horatio Alger success myth, the idea that any young man can go from rags to riches, from a log cabin to the White House. The decks were stacked against him. When you look back upon the trials and tribulations that Banky had faced throughout his life, you understand why he was so willing to form a labor union. When the Army released him from active duty in late 1928, he got a job flying for Boeing Air Transport on the Chicago-Omaha run. This subsidiary of United Aircraft had no way of knowing it was hiring a man who had all the prerequisites for a successful labor leader. Suspiciousness, lack of sentimentality, and a good deal of personal drive. This still leaves unresolved the question why Banky would expose himself to yet another firing by leading the drive to unionization. Perhaps it was precisely because he had been fired before, and had survived, that he was willing to risk being fired again. Like many airmen, Banky believed the propaganda of that time, which depicted pilots as extraordinary individuals. He also understood that his fellow pilots were ripe for the undertaking he had in mind. They seemed to understand that the privileged few, the ones from good homes with good educations who got the regular commissions and the executive jobs with airlines, were going to milk this commercial aviation bonanza for all it was worth. And ordinary pilots were not included in their plans. Perhaps George Douglas the Mr. V of the organizational period, summed it up best. It is simply one of those mysteries. But Banky was successful because he was able to see that part in human nature that wants to join something, to be associated, and recognizes that in unity, there is strength. Thank you for listening. This has been part two of chapter 10 of Flying the Line by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 1982. 
We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpa.org or on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or other podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. Production Copyright Alpa 2020. All rights reserved.